Hello, it's Lady and the Tramp. I'm Trish Mitchell, the dog magician. And I'm Andy Lee, dog man down under. We're talking about family dogs and family issues. question good start yeah my first question the secret question to you mm. is are you or have you been well there's no have you been you are you are you either are or you aren't <laughs> started well a horse person yes 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 tell me more <laughs> i'll tell you mine because mine's short i was gonna say you'll have to yeah, yeah. You make me laugh too much and I can't speak, so you tell me your story first. We were having a conversation before we come on air, which is secret conversation. But it was very funny. Yes. Right. So go on, tell me your horse story, I'll tell you mine. No, it's not a horse story. It's a, I'm not a horse person. <laughs> and I'm a rarity. You are. With dog people. And I always put it down to, I'm a predator. And I've always had hunting dogs. So... Horses just didn't understand. But that's not true. Um, Thinking about it, I know lots of people that are horsey people that go out with the hounds on horses and they're really good horsey people. So that's not true. I just, I always wanted to be the Lone Ranger and Rin Tin Tin and all that stuff. And that was a fantasy of mine, you know, a fantasy life. But when it came to reality, because I had... Horse riding lessons, so my sister, my mum, dug into her pocket, even though she's poor. She's a wonderful mother and said this for horse riding lesson. But I just couldn't get on with them. I just couldn't connect with them because I think their, their big teeth put me off for a start. <laughs> they do have they big teeth. They've got big gnashes and they're trying to bite you with them. <laughs> yes. And they've got those big hoofs that tread on your feet. Yeah. And I never liked particularly... I love tack rooms, the smell of leather. Yes. And all. The smell of horses I never liked, but I loved the smell of dogs. Right. And, and all that, I wasn't interested. And I rode horses a, a fair bit because we, we used to hire them in the old days. You just turn up and go, I want to hire a horse. And they sold it up and give it to you and say, come back in an hour. Mm. And off you went into the countryside, wherever you want with the horse, done what you wanted and then give it back. So I loved riding them. But I wasn't a horse person to look after them because all that grooming and stuff just didn't appeal to me like it does to horse people. You know, grooming dogs appeal to me. And it, so with me not liking them, so they, they were obviously, I wouldn't say they didn't like me, but that was neutral to me, so I didn't have a connection with them. And that makes a rarity with dog people. Absolutely, that's a rarity. <clears throat> well, I was actually... The opposite, because when I was a child, I was, I always wanted a dog, but I was obsessed with horses. And I used to draw horses all the time. I had a sketchbook, you know. Can you, can you draw? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Well, I, multi-talented. I, oh, multi-skilled. No, I had, I had drawing lessons yeah. in school, you know, it's part of what so we did. So did everywhere. <clears throat> well, there you go. So I'm a creative type. What can yeah. I say? So anyway, I used to draw horses endlessly and I always wanted a horse and my dream was to have an Arabian mare. You know, those exquisite Arabian horses. Do you know the ones I, I mean? Sh- I should know because uh, Arabian 
horses are famous, but I can't picture one in my head. Well, what's, what's incredible about them is that, of course, they're bred for the desert because they're Arab horses. Yeah. And they have um, <clears throat> very large nostrils because they breathe in super hot air in the, in the desert. So they have these flared, beautiful nostrils and they have very high arched necks for the same reason, to cool the air yeah. down. So they've got long arched necks. And then their tails are always very high and oh, flaring. Are they the ones that prance around in the ring, like up on their tippy toes? No, that's, that's um, I know the ones you mean, Swedish, I was going to say doppelgangers, but okay. you know what I mean. Uh, they might be Arabs, I'm not sure. Yeah. But these, these horses are just exquisite. And the most valuable horse in the world is a pale golden Arab, and it's pr almost priceless. It is the most exquisite animal you've ever seen. Anyway, I was always horse mad, and so I wanted a horse rather than a dog. But I lived in, a, you know, a big city in Scotland, and that was never going to happen. But then, when I was ten, we moved to Australia, and a bit like you, um, my parents split up, and Mum was broke, but she found the money so I could have horse riding lessons which I, I absolutely loved. And what was hilarious, <laughs> these poor bloody ponies, honestly. You know, they were ponies for hire and any yeah. old arsehole could get up on them, you know. Don't call me an arsehole. No, <laughs> not you. But like anybody who came yeah. along could just jump on yeah. one of these poor things. They had mouths like cement, you know, because yeah. they had constantly yeah. people sawing at their, the bit. And the first pony I got on <laughs> just... <laughs> just walked to the nearest tree and swept me off under <laughs> <laughs> under a branch. And that's the first <laughs> the horse very you ever rode. first horse I ever rode. I was so happy and so excited. And I yeah. had all my new horse yeah. riding gear, you know, and my little hat on. And it's just literally, I'm pulling at the reins, yeah. so like trying to turn its head. So its head was almost yeah. facing me, but it still it's kept walking. It's probably done that to loads of people. Oh, I would have done it to yeah. hundreds of people. It yeah. was just over it. It's just like, here's another jerk off that doesn't know anything about yeah. horse riding. So I'm just going to get her off. So straight under the tree in this <laughs> big, heavy branch, <laughs> and the horse kept walking, and I went, I went backwards off this. It was a pony. It wasn't yeah. like a big horse, so I didn't get hurt. But that actually, it put me off horse riding school yeah. because I just felt this incredible compassion for this poor horse yeah. who had literally a mouth like cement. You could never... Yeah. You know, a poor thing was just like abused, basically, just used as a money making exercise. And I could never, I'd never had another riding lesson. But, and to this day, if somebody gave me an Arab mare, I would sell my body in order to be able to, to, to look after it and keep it and groom it and have the best possible tack, you know. So it's kind of weird that I always had this passion for horses. But at the same time, I desperately, 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 when I was a kid, wanted was that, a dog. Was that your was that your one horse riding experience? Yeah. In your life? In my life. Bloody hell, I've rode loads more than you, then. And that's funny, and you don't even like them particularly. No, I like the joy of riding them. You know, the action yes. 
thing and just walking along with them. I like all that stuff. It was a looking up. Uh, you're going to have a connection to wanted to look after them and put the saddles on. That was always a yes, lot of an enormous that. amount of work. But yeah. you know, another thing that my mother did for me, bless her, um, she knew how much I loved horses, but I wouldn't ride at riding school anymore. And she organised. We lived in Newcastle when we came to Australia, New South Wales, and she connected with the local uh, a local trainer of racehorses at the local yeah. track and she asked him if he would allow me to be, there's a name for it, but like a little dog's body, you yeah. know, come and pick up the poo and, yeah. and put the feed out and yeah. brush them down. And he said, yes, I was at uh, must have been maybe high school, so maybe I was 14, 13, 14, maybe 15. And mum would get up at 4.30 every morning drive me down to the racetrack and I would work with the yeah. horses and I would walk them around and it was just joyful for me. And then she'd pick me up, take me home, I'd have a shower and go to school. So incredible sacrifice on mum's part to allow me this expression of my passion for horses. <laughs> but it ended very badly because um, I was inexperienced. I was just a young teenager and... I was given a really feisty young racehorse to walk and she got spooked and she turned around and kicked me with her hind leg right in the base of my spine. That was not funny. No, I know. Oh, my I've God. I've been kicked by horses. I thought funny. I was going to die. It was so yeah. incredibly painful. So, of course, I let go of the leading rein. The horse got away. I'm in agony on the ground. It was like yeah. it, it went really badly. And as a result, my lower back has never been the same since. So that was the end of that. Like mum said, okay, no, that's not safe. Yeah. You're not doing that anymore. But, you know, I'm so grateful to her for A, you know, saving the money to yeah. get me horse riding lessons and then letting me do this strapper. I was a strapper. That's what they call oh, it. Oh, well, yeah. A strapper. Yeah. Um. But I have, I have friends... As opposed to a slapper. <laughs> I was never a slapper. Yeah. But I have friends in uh, just over the border in country New South Wales who are horse mad yeah. and they have a beautiful property in the hinterland of Byron Bay. So I get to indulge myself occasionally by visiting them. And there's also a really beautiful place uh, called, I think it's Healing Hooves, at Tevin, which is also just across the border in New South Wales, and they use horses to help disabled children and mentally disabled yeah. children. So, you know, horses are like dogs, really. They have this incredible psychic and um, long-term connection with the human race. Not as long as dogs, but... It's there, yeah. you know. So you are unusual that you're yeah. a dog person and yeah. you don't have a horse connection. I too got kicked by a horse once. Hey. What happened? I dropped down to the floor. <laughs> hey. And that was a sideways kick because I held in the reins and I went to walk be get behind it. And a no, no. But oh, I he kicked I, sideways? Yeah. Or she? I, and it was, a, it was the most feisty, biggest horse in the, in the yard. And I always ask for him because he jumped things and he went fast because I was action man. Of course. But he, he was also notorious for throwing people off and kicking people. Well, of course, not knowing about horses. So I just 
started walking behind him and he went sideways and caught me at the top of my leg and he just poleaxed me. The, yeah. It amazed me the power they can get from a sideways kick. Unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. And this massive bruise on my leg came up, nearly the whole of my inside of my leg on one little kick. Yeah, so. It's kind of fascinating that horses are prey, not predators. You know, so yeah. they've got the sideways eyes rather than the yeah. forward-facing eyes and they're, they're skittish and their skin's very sensitive and they're, they're very psychically, <laughs> energetically sensitive and yet bloody hell they can do some damage. Yeah. So I had to get back up. Oh, no, that horse ran home that time. Right. I later run, rode him on another day when I got better because, like I say, I liked the action. <laughs> but when we got back to the, the stables... The man in charge of the stables, I don't know what you call him, horseman. <laughs> <laughs> he was in the, already in the stable. He came up and we told him what happened. He went, no, he's all right. And he walked behind him and went, slap, slap, real hard on his backside, straight behind him. <laughs> and nothing. <laughs> so the horse knew uh, yeah, who the boss just, was. Just showing off to us. Uh, you know, he wasn't going to do it to him. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll tell well, you what I'll do. Hmm. Christmas time, mm. I'm going to buy you a gift, a horse ride somewhere, and we'll tape it for the podcast. You're going for your first ever, well, your second ever second horse ride. Second ever horse ride. And we'll see if you can fall off <laughs> or stay on this time. Well, as long as it doesn't brush me under a tree, I might have a chance of staying on. Yeah. But you know what? It's just... It's so amazing that I, t I genuinely love horses and I have a friend who is a, I refer to him as an animal whisperer. His name is Stuart Camps. He refers to himself, oh, how does, oh, it's, it's really long and complicated. He says that he's a, he's a human who relates humanly to all non-humans and beings and rocks and trees, some, you know, like long thing. But basically he's an animal whisperer in my language, in yeah. our language. And he ran a workshop, uh, which he does fairly regularly around the world, um, called The Heart of the Horse. And he demonstrates how to relate to a horse the way we teach people how to relate to dogs. And I did this workshop with him two or three years ago now, and it was just stunning to me because every single thing that he taught relative to relating to horses was exactly the same as it is for dogs. And I took a lot, a lot away from that weekend about how to do some things differently with when I, when I go into people's homes to help them with difficult dogs. It was, was amazing how similarly we relate to those two animals. Yeah. Well, we're talking about the horses and how, what would your be? your view on what constitutes a panic with domestic dogs? Not what wolves, constitutes... Not, wives, not wild dogs, our dogs in our home, domestic dogs. What constitutes a pack? Yes. Well, it's... Is one a, dog a pack? One dog and their human is a pack, yeah. Yeah. So if it's one person and one human, that's a pack of two, the dog right. and the human. That's, that's a pack. Yeah. Or if you've got a big family of what like... What about if you've got two dogs? Two dogs and one human? Yeah. Still a pack. What about three dogs? Same yeah. pack, is it? 
Um, is it the same dynamics? Of course it's not the same dynamics. Yeah, but how is it different if you've got three dogs compared to one dog? Because there's hierarchy within the pack of dogs and it depends on who the dominant dog is, how dominant the human is, whether the human is the pack leader or one of the dogs is. The dynamic changes with every interaction, with every inclusion, whether it's human or dog. Yeah. Well, I've found how I think. What I've found in, in the dog world mm. is we're not one pack. We're two packs. We're one pack with a one leader when it's human. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the human is the, the god leader. Mm-hmm. And when the human leaves, they become... They don't become totally wild pack, but they've had influence off us, but then the, the dynamics change when the human leaves. Sorry, I'm not clear what you mean by when the human leaves, because a family right, leaves dog... leaves the house. Oh, leaves the house. Yeah, oh, so okay. all the dogs were alone together. They're right. not going to act the same together alone as they do when the human's there. I, if the human comes in, I immediately agree. the human's the, the top leader, and they're all thinking about the human. If you're a proper pack leader, yes, you become everything yes. in their life. But when you leave, it becomes, there's not one pack leader there anymore. There's the interaction that they have. And that's when you can get big fights, when you've yeah. left. Oh. And I've always found you have two dogs, up to two dogs, mm. and everything's all harmony. As soon as you get a third dog, those dogs start forming their own pack. Yes, against the third dog. Yeah. Yep. Well, not necessarily against the third dog, but they form a separate pack to the humans. Two dogs, it can be two humans and uh, one human and the two dogs are integrated more as a pack. As soon as you start adding the third, they start listening to each other a lot more than they did before. So that's when you really have to step up when you get that third dog in the pack as a leader. Because that's when you start getting a lot of problems that you don't see with two dogs, for instance. Well, luckily for me, because I live in an urban area and I deal with urban dogs, most councils only allow you to have two dogs in a domestic situation. And then if you want a third, you've got to go through so many hoops. Most people don't. Yeah. So I don't deal with large yeah, pack I, numbers the way you do. I have to pay their extortion money. Yes, because you've got... Every year. Yeah. Because I've got four dogs. Yeah. So you pay the extortion money to them. And that's all <laughs> it is. Yeah. It's a... If you've got four dogs and you're a brilliant owner, you've got to pay extortion money. But uh, the crappiest owner in the world can have two dogs. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So... But no, then, it's but true. then who says the one with four dogs is a great owner? However, um, years and years and years ago, I was in a relationship... With I got into a relationship with a man who had a dog. Yeah, sorry, he had two dogs, and I had one dog. So when we moved in together uh, to his home, we had to get special council permission for for my dog to join the pack. But the reason they gave, and I thought it was fairly reasonable, was the amount of poo there would be in the backyard. And what the council made us do is there's this thing I didn't even know what it's called, but you dig a big hole in the backyard. And then you put this this containery thing yeah. in the backyard, and the poo has to go in that, and then yeah. it's got a lid, and then yeah. something happens to the poo that makes yeah, it's it. It's a septic tank. Is that what it is? Yeah, yeah, it's a small septic tank, but it doesn't work doesn't because it? they're always too small. 
Oh, really? Everyone I know has bought one. Right. Because you buy them for dogs. It haven't worked because it's far too small for... For the amount of yeah. poo. And what happens, it goes down there and you put it in a septic tank of humans, you put it in and the microbes eat it. Yeah. And then the wastewater comes out over the top. That goes down to a filter bed uh, or somewhere smelly where the smelly water can go. But right. it's just liquid going out there. Yeah. And the rest get its eaten. So that's a good point you brought up there. How do you get rid of your poo? <laughs> well, that's what I'm talking yeah. about. It's like it made sense to me that the council would request this waste thing, septic tank for dogs, because there was now going to be his dogs were big cattle dogs. Yeah. Mine was a little fluffy, but there was now three dogs pooing yeah. in the backyard. Yeah, and it's a a big problem for people. And I've been through all the solutions for mm. forty odd years of keeping packs of dogs mm-hmm. together. And my friend now he's in England. He has to bag his up, they put at the end of the garden, and it's too much for his rubbish bin. So then he has to go down the dump, put it in his car, because England, oh God, it's so overcrowded and oh, sure. bad now. Way too many people. You can't just go down the tip, like you used to, go down in your van. Now, you, if you're taking a van, you're not allowed to go in, you have to get a permit and you get charged. To go into the tip. With a van. So you have to go in a car, and I don't think they even allow estates, you know, without charging you. So you have to estates go in a car, so you have to put ha- them in his car. Hang on, what's an estate again? It's a, a wagon in your A wagon, like yeah. a station wagon. I don't wagon. know what they call them in America. No, uh, they call them station wagons Station here. wagons, yeah. yeah. That was an American term there, so the same in America then. Right. Yeah, they're, they're estate cars. Estate cars, England. yeah. I suppose it comes from... All the posh people originally got them. Yes, like living on their estates. Only a rich person had one of them. Yeah. Yeah, anyway, so he has to now back it up, put it all in bags in his car. How many horses? Oh, how many horses? How many dogs? I think he's got five or six. Right. Yeah, so it's a lot of That's dogs. That's a lot so of We've poop. always had that problem. And I solved it over there because every back garden has to have, on a junction of your sewer, you have to have a manhole. Right. So you've got a manhole cover. Right. So I used to lift the manhole cover up and just show it down the sewer with a hose. And that's That seems perfect. reasonable. But in Australia, you don't have those junctions, manholes. You just have a... The old houses don't have anything. No, they that's right. They get blocked up and you're buggered yep. on every bend. But some of them, the new ones, they have a rodding point, which is no good. You can't shove it, try and shove it down this little hole. What's a rodding point? It's just a... a it comes up from the ground. It's the same size four inches across as your sewer pipe. Oh, right. So it's like a waste pipe And it's got a screw size. on lit. Right. And you take the screw off and you can put your rod down right at the bend to rod it out when it's blocked up. Got it. <laughs> Interesting topic. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glazing yeah. over and falling but asleep. Yeah. No, but who else is going to talk about how to get rid of your poo? No, I completely when agree. When have you ever seen that from any dog training group, dog advice group, Never. I've never seen it. No. So, and it's a real problem for people getting rid of the poo. Yeah. Because you, if you've got a few dogs, it's a lot of poo to try and save up for a week to put in your bin with all your other rubbish, and plus you're not allowed to, I suppose. But well, I, I don't know. I, you're allowed to put some dirty nappies in there. But. Yeah. He, well, don't get me started on dirty disposable nappies. That's, I could rant for half an hour about how sick they make me. But... Well, for me, for instance, I have 
a tiny dog with the, does the world's tiniest poos. Honestly, they're so hilarious. I have to go hunting for them, even though I've watched exactly <laughs> where she's pooed. I'm down there almost with the magnifier on my phone <laughs> trying to find them. But and, and I'm aware that dog poo, because they're carnivores, is toxic near waterways, right? So you don't want the poo, raw poo washing into a waterway. So you do want people to pick up the poo. But then they go in plastic bags, yeah. which are non-biodegradable, and then they go in the bin, and then they go to wherever they go from there. I've just seen this week on Facebook an advert going round yeah. for biodegradable poo bags. Don't use plastic bags, buy these biodegradable ones. Right. And so exactly what you're talking about, if someone's come up with that idea. However, I discovered something, because I'm a bit of a greenie, I discovered something about biodegradable bags. Biodegradable plastic bags, poo bags, whatever, they're only biodegradable in the sun. So they go to the tip. They get covered up with everything else that's in the tip. They're never exposed to the sun and they don't biodegrade. And if they're any plastic, biodegradable means it could breaks up into tiny little particles and they disappear. That's right. They disappear to our view, but then those little particles wash out into the sea and get in the fish and we eat And we start eating plastic. Plastic, yeah, so paper's the best bet, whatever. But back to the... Oh, a little tip I mentioned this morning because we went for a walk this morning. Oh, yes, picking up poo. I've got an aversion to get in a bag... And picking up poo with your fingers. Uh, for mums and modern dads, that's perfectly acceptable because they're doing dirty nappies. Nursing and nappies, it's, yeah. But I've been brought up in kennels and my own dogs. You use a shovel for picking up poo. That's what it's made for, a shovel. So you keep away from it. But, of course, you can't do that when you're out. You can't carry a big shovel around. But and plus with and tequila, her poos are so tiny, I couldn't. Pick them up with a shovel anyway. Then. Oh, I have a, have a scraper as well. Oh, you've got a so, scraper. Yeah, so I don't oh, yeah. get anywhere near my dog's poo. So, <laughs> but what I've always done, what it's a good little tip if you, you're squeamish like me. I can't be the only one, surely, in the world. You know, oddly enough, it doesn't bother me no. at all. No, but I can't be the only one that's... No, no, no. Um, I can, I but anyway, if there is anyone out there, all you do is you, you look around... You look around and you find some sand, mulch, leaves, dirt, anything, yep, yep. and pick up, be careful, pour it on top of it, and then you're picking up a load of leaves. You're not picking up poo. And it keeps it clean when you're picking it up. Well, that is true because if I give Keely too many liver treats, because they're her absolute favourite, if I overdo the liver treats even just a little bit, she gets a little bit of the runs, right? And so when she poos, and you, especially on grass, you go to pick it up and it's just slime all over the grass. So that's a good tip. So in future, I will pour leaves or twigs or sand yeah. or dirt over her poo and then it won't be, get all slimy and disgusting. And remember, you first heard it here. Yes. <laughs> Trisha and Andy had to pick up poo. Now, our next subject, let's go to... We've had what's a pack? Growling. No, I think we go to the I want, I want. Right. I want, when people I want. want a dog. Mm-hmm. They need to start thinking about 
that dog's needs mm-hmm. as well as their own. It's I want, I want. And I go to see people and all my clients are wonderful. I've only ever had one bad client. Me too. In my whole life. Me too. So they are. I'm they... not criticising my clients. No. I would never do that. They've my taken clients... the effort to call me out, yes. look me up, call me out. And just because they don't know what they're doing is exactly the reason they call me out. So mm. you never... I can't understand a trainer criticising people for not knowing. Well, how can they know? They've, they've, if they're not taught, they can't know, yes. can they, if they've never had a dog. But it's a, this thing of, uh, I haven't got time to look after a dog. Mm. Think about, if you're getting a dog, they are very hard work. They are. They're constant, day after day. You can't do anything without thinking about your dog. So... It's not just, oh, yeah, I walk the dog a couple of times a day. It's much more than that. It's constant all the time. And if you, when people say, I haven't got time, and most people have got busy lives, but mainly it's, it's because of their own fault, really. Are you talking about clients who say to you, I haven't got time to do what you're telling no, me I need to no, do? No, I'm talking about other people that I see that they haven't got time. They've got a dog. But then they haven't got time to look after it properly. Well, they say they haven't. Yeah. They're just they not, say they have. not making it a priority. When we've got washing machines, fridges, we don't have to shop. We can shop once a week. It used to be every day. Mm. Although we had milkman and bread, they'd bring the bread. But uh, washing machines to do the washing, dishwashers to wash the dishes, or hoovers that you plug in. And you walk around and they hoover things up, not with of these push things that you used to have to do. You know what? When we were a kid, we had a hoover and mum used to do the hoovering because it was mum's job. And I genuinely thought can as can a I kid... Can I just stop you a minute? No. Yeah, because I just want to explain before you go too far what a hoover is. To some people don't know what a hoover is. That's true. That was a genetic name because the first vacuum cleaner was by Hoover. Generic. Yeah, generic. That's you know, what I said. You just that's, misheard. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. So when we were kids in the 50s, it was a hoover. And I thought the hoover hooved. So in our family, we don't vacuum, we hoove. Yeah. The house needs hoover hooving. Up the house. Yeah. Yeah. No, not hoover. Oh, good. Hoover is the, the common, name. Common version of. And hooving is what the hoover does. Right. So as we got older, it would be like, who's going to hoove the house? <laughs> so to this day, our family hooves. Yeah. You do not vacuum, we hoove. Oh, we hoover. Oh, you hoover. Yeah. Oh, no, that's wrong. It's not hoovering. It's hooving. Yeah, well, <laughs> I come from the southeast, and we're the only ones that can talk English anyway. So <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, go on. You're going back to nobody's got time to oh, look yeah. after their they, dog. Well, for start, they take their children everywhere. Mm. The children wants to go to up the road to athletics. There's all the parents driving them up there, dropping mm. them, or not dropping them off, getting out, going to sit there all the time watching them. They take them to the playground. There's more There's more parents in the playground than there is children nowadays. Because <laughs> they can't just go, oh, well, they're in the playground, I'll go and do something else. They want to go to school. And there is a trend, trying to get a trend to get children to walk and bike to and school. Bike but to it school. is only a trend because if you go to any school, it's just 
full of cars, mm. people dropping there, and the like, children can't catch a bus anymore. You know, it's too much bother. So all that time, it's, to me, a lot of it is wasted parents' time. They're spending their whole time doing things they not necessarily yeah. need to do. And then take the instance, my mum, she worked six days a week in the docks, which mm -hmm. is a greyhound, kennels. Mm -hmm. She walked an hour to work and an hour home. Good Lord. In that. When it was summertime, three nights a week racing as well, mm -hmm. where you wouldn't finish the racing until about half nine, ten o'clock. She always got a lift home by a, a trainer then, because it's too dark and had to oh. come home. Yet she took care of our children because their, their father, before there was divorce, he was in the army. And that was the days when in the army in England, you went round the world. Yes. They had, you know, he was always away. Yes. So she'd done that all on her own. She had a sister who used to help out with her housework. When you, <laughs> when you wanted to wash clothes, you had to pull it in the boiler, mm -hmm. boil the water up, and then pound it with a bloody wooden powder. A wooden stick, yes. Yeah? And then get it out and put it through the ringer. Now, do you want to explain, explain what a ringer is to people? Or do you want me to? Go right ahead. It's a hand ringer. Hand ringer, yeah. yeah. My mum had one. Yeah. Well, my mum had one. And it was one of the joys to help. I liked helping oh, with yes. the ringer. Oh, yes, the hand ringer was fun. I used to collect the other end. You'd get the wet washing. And this is a old days spin dryer. <laughs> You've, you had two rollers and a handle to turn the rollers and adjustment on the rollers, it stood upright, you fed your clothes through the roller and turned the roller and it dragged it through and it squeezed them flat. So they come out like boards through the <laughs> other end, dry. Well, you know, nearly dry. Yeah. And it's fascinating to watch this crumbled washing getting fed through. And yeah, then and coming out. Over and coming out all flat. And then, yep. then you had to hang that on the line. Yes, that's right. And in our days, it was only Monday. Monday was washing day. Because back where we lived, before the smokeless zones, there was a reason for that. It's because people knew not to light their fires on a Monday. It was um, Monday washing day. Right. So if it rained that day, so you, you know, you're really you're struggling. Yeah. So, and not only did you have to, all the neighbourhood would put their washing out and do the washing on Monday... Not only did you have to put your washing out, all your neighbours are studying you. <laughs> studying studying your washing. See how white your whites are. See how white your whites are. Whether your <laughs> knickers are on the line, because you couldn't put your knickers on the line. That was a, you had to dry them somehow. I don't know what they'd done with knickers on there. <laughs> and you couldn't, because that'd be say, oh, did you think she put her knickers on the line? Because <laughs> it was a good community. Everyone knew everyone. Yeah. And, They'd all be studying the nappies. You had to have white nappies. And you imagine those days. Cloth nappies, you, yes. Cloth nappies. Every time the baby pooed, you've got to get that nappy and you've got to wash it. You had a big stack of the bloody thing. Yeah, then you scrape got to off the poo and then... You had to boil them up <laughs> and wash it and scrub them super white because all your neighbours... <laughs> that was a criteria for whether you was a good mum or not, if you had white nappies. Yep. They had to be pristine. <laughs> Oh, look at them. They were all yellow looking there. Like this. <laughs> <She's a man. laughs> Do you know? Go on. And they found time for that. But that was one reason that a lot of people didn't have a dog. 
Yes. Now everyone's got a dog, but then they say, I haven't got time to look after the dog. Mm. When they've got all these labour-saving devices, and it, it's a myth that women didn't go to work. Most oh, of the women right. I knew did some sort of part-time. My mum was full-time, which was unusual. Yeah. But most of the women around our state had part-time work as well as having to do all the washing the housework, look after the kids, cook the meals as well, because they had to for to get pin money, to get some money. Yep. You know, just to live. Yep. Uh, and I have to tell you, the great invention was the washing machine, but no one could afford one up our road, our estate. <laughs> they used to hire a washing machine for a day between three of them. How clever. Mom, How clever. Yeah, next door neighbour and another one up, and they used to hire it for the day, do their washing, pass it on to the next door neighbour. So in the day, they all shared the cost of hiring a one washing machine. That is so clever. <laughs> God, it was, it, I mean, we sound like we're 95 in our rocking chairs, but it really was yes. a different, simpler time, wasn't it? Yeah, and technology has just gone exploded yeah. really fast. Yeah, I think it's going too fast for our brains to cope with, it is. which is why we're getting anxious people. We just can't cope with that fastness of it. Yeah. yeah it's, it's the technological revolution that's happening now, with particularly with, artificial intelligence because every smartphone is an AI device that happens to yeah. be a phone. They're basically, you know, equating it with the disruption of the Industrial Revolution in the 1800s or was it the 1800s or the 18th century? I can't remember. But, you know, that was massively disruptive culturally in every yeah. possible way when machines took over yeah. human labour. And it's the same now. Machines are taking over human labour now. It's just that they're artificially intelligent machines like our smartphones. And we are in a massive cultural revolution and we're all mental as a result yeah, of it. we can't keep pace mentally with it. But making time, back to that making time with your dog. Yeah. When, when have you seen a child, let's say, just for instance say, because it's a different world now, mm. uh, 10 years and upwards, out walking their dog on their own. On their own, yeah. It's really, really rare. So when the children have got a dog, the parents never say, right, you've got to walk it on Monday, you've got to walk it on Wednesday, and make them actually do something. And they should do, because that brings responsibility for that animal and trust. If it goes wrong, it goes wrong. You can't get perfect without yep. trusting and things going wrong. You know, I think it, I could be wrong because, as I keep saying, I don't have kids, but I wonder if it's because people are so overprotective of their kids these days because they're afraid that some asshole pedophile will come along in a van and say, do you want some lollies, little girl, 10-year-old girl walking yeah. her puppy? Yeah, but that's where if you just educate kids really, really well, you have to take a chance and let the children go out. Otherwise, you're stifling their development, in my eyes, for something that happens, and it does happen, but it doesn't happen that often. No, it's, it's quite rare. Like, children get knocked over way, way more than they get abducted, and knocked over and killed way more than they get abducted. Are we going to say, no, you can never go out, and you can never learn to cross the road properly? Well, we can say, you can go out, this is how you behave with strangers coming up, this is how you do. Well, you've got a smartphone. 
put it in your pocket, there's the dial, yeah. hit that, and I talk to you straight away. Yeah. I say, this man's talking to me straight away. Just run that thing. But so they can get out and learn things with their dog and learn responsibility, learn what they can't do, learn what strangers get upset with them doing. It's all part of society and learning how to be a good member, member isn't it? I, I totally agree. I One of the things I love about going to clients is when the kids are at the right age and they're really interested. Yeah. Like they want to become pack leaders. And there's one little girl that I particularly remember. She would have been maybe six tops and they had a very, very uh, rotund um, British bulldog. Fortunately, rotund mean? Oh, round, hefty. No, he wasn't fat. He was just one of those big, muscly ones. That he wasn't particularly fat, but he was hefty, big built bulldog. But he had a slightly longer nose, so he was well bred. You know, he didn't have a completely smished in face, so he couldn't breathe. But he was pulling them off their the whole family was pulling them off their feet, and so when I showed them how to walk him you know, calmly beside them, this little girl, she really, really wanted to learn and I want to be able to do this. And so, uh, you know, I said to her, okay, you're going to have to be like really be the boss and be the pack leader. And I said, who's your favourite like superhero or something? And she said, Harley Quinn. And I said, right. Hang on. Just in case anyone doesn't know, I of course know who Harley Quinn, no, I haven't got a clue. Who's Harley Quinn? Harley. Harley. I thought you were going to say, who's your boss? Who, no, who do you look up to? And she says, Paris Hilton. <laughs> no, no. But Paris Hilton is, no, yeah. Paris Hilton is definitely you way go, past. Oh, my God, you passed hope. <laughs> Harley Quinn is a female cartoonish movie action star. Oh, right, yeah. Right? Okay. So Harley Quinn is obviously yeah. the, the name, but her name is Harley yeah. Quinn. Yeah. And she's an action hero. And she's awesome, right? So when this little girl, you know, I said to her, who's your favourite superhero? She said, Harley Quinn. I said, all right, you're Harley Quinn. And you are going to be the superhero who walks your big buffy dog and you're going to protect him and you're going to walk. Well, she just took it on, straightened her back. And I said, imagine you've got a cape on and you're, you're Harley Quinn. And she took off down the street with this dog and... He tried to pull her around a little bit, you know, and she was like, she's bumping him with her knee. Don't you bump into me. You know, like the dog was yeah. bumping her. And I was almost in tears with happiness at the sight of this because the dog didn't get walked because it was so yeah. strong. And and I'll never forget this little girl becoming Harley Quinn and becoming a pack leader. And yeah. that will never leave her. She'll yeah. remember that yeah, when she's forever. 90. Yeah, yeah forever. Yeah. It's make creating memories with the dog, with the yep. family. And that's a great way to do it, Trish, what you did there, because kids love acting. Yes, they do. So I loved it when I was a kid. If you get into acting, they're going to go into that role. Yep. So any parent there that wants their children to do it, that's a good thing to do, get them to act the role. Yeah. I think getting the child to have a bit of discipline and feed the dog with their food is, is a good thing to bring them up in there. And, of course, they go back to being children and playing with the dogs. But just for that moment, those little moments like you did there, 
when they can be in church. Yeah, and she loved it. And I, I do the same thing with anxious adults because, you know, you were mentioning that we, we're all so yeah. stressed and anxious and the pandemic has not helped anybody, let's face no. it. We're all... We're all going to die, you know, that sort of attitude. Well, but, well just that... to go out and fight to talk to people and fight to... But also genuinely, you know, not seeing family members yeah. and, and, you know, family members, loved family members dying and you can't go yeah. and be with them. And it's, it's a real terrible thing, this pandemic, yeah. in lots of ways. And I, I've noticed that I quite often end up very quickly, not end up, but straight up, I'll, I'll usually ask the mother in particular, uh, I, do you, are you a little anxious? Are you, you know, and 99% of the women will say, yeah, I'm, I'm stressed, I'm, I get nervous, and, you know, when the dog plays up outside, I get anxious, you know. So I have started to, well, a long time ago, I started to do the same thing with adults, particularly women, don't usually don't need to, to do it with men at all but with adult women I'll say who do you admire who do you look up to as someone who's like confident knows knows what they're doing you know and sometimes it'll be um you know like an astrologer or something somebody yeah. who's or a personal development person or whoever you know I can't think of a name off the top of my head Louise Hay right Louise Hay is a very famous um I don't know how you'd even describe her, but she's a an, an alternative personal development guru. Yeah. She's quite extraordinary. And and people often use her, Louise Hay. She's really inspiring. She's really confident. She's a beautiful woman, but not physically beautiful. She's just a beautiful yeah. person, right? So, and I do the same thing. I say, okay, you admire Louise Hay. Start thinking about yourself as Louise Hay. What would Louise Hay do if this happened or yeah. that happened, you know? And it actually really helps. Yeah, and I and because I have a background of extreme anxiety and depression, I can relate to people. And I say to people, yeah. I, I have anxiety. So I have to practice in doing what I do and working with dogs helps me deal with my anxiety because I have to be calm. Yeah. If I'm anxious, I'm gonna be a shit trainer, right? Yeah. So I say I say to people, I, I know what you're going through. I am inherently an anxious person. This is the point of being a, a good behaviour trainer as opposed to any other trainer. Having life skills. Yeah. That you've been through things. I will say to everyone, what you've done with your dog, I've done. Yeah. I've done everything wrong. Under the sun, you can't name me anything you've done with your dog I haven't done with mine. I've made mistakes. And it's those life skills you can pass on. You know, and it's not just with dogs, it's your actual life living a life yeah. and going through troubles and you can because you've got to relate to people and help them. Yeah. And I I remember you saying a little while back in one of our very early podcasts that in the back in the olden days, the greyhound racing industry in the UK, which was more a family yeah. business and it wasn't the nightmare yeah. that it is here, you were saying that as a trainer you know, if you were 40 or 50, you were the young fella. Yeah. It wasn't until you were 70 plus that yeah. you were considered you knew anything. Yeah. And I feel how relevant that is to working with families and dogs because the more life experience you have, the more you can help people. Yeah. And it's, it's not 
just dogs. It's anything personal like that. If you go to a counsellor and there was 23 out of university yeah. and you're 60. Yeah, forget it. I mean, <laughs> what, what can they tell you to help you? Mm. You, you, need, you need life's experiences. I think with, that's with anything. Uh, um, not putting young people down. No, everybody this has to start for, somewhere. For anyone who wants to be a dog trainer, youngster, I'm all for them coming in and helping because it's a big thing without control dogs now. But don't just jump into personal training. Go and start working in some kennels and helping mm. out. Go and follow a, a mentor. Mm. Don't just do your courses. Get out and handle dogs a lot. And there's many ways to get out and handle dogs. You can go down boarding kennels and say, can I help out Saturday mornings? With boarding kennels, because you'll see every yep. type of different dogs in boarding kennels. With every type of behaviour. And there's no agendas there. You just look. So how's the time going, Trish? Time to wrap. Oh, we so, didn't get round to growling. I wanted to talk about growling too. Have to talk about growling next time. Yeah, okay. All right. So it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from my lady. Bye. See you next time. Bye. Thanks for listening. Message us anytime on Facebook or on our websites if you like. Media inquiries, Facebook only please. Guest requests, Facebook only please. We'll see you next time.